Luke 13, starting at verse 10. So Luke 13 and verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Jesus answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. One of the worst things that can happen to a church is to fall into the trap of legalism when people emphasize man-made laws at the expense of freedom in Christ. In my home church, there was a man who would not drink a cup of tea in the church premises because it was the house of God. What he would have made of Sunday at six well, I do know he wouldn't have approved. I've known other Christians who've made a real fuss about things like Sunday clothing, why you should wear Sunday best, and certainly not turn up in jeans. Well, here in Luke 13, Jesus performs a wonderful miracle and all the legalistic ruler of the synagogue can say is, you've healed on the wrong day, Jesus. You should have performed your liberating miracle on a working day. The synagogue ruler is the kind of character who carries a clipboard. He would have wanted the woman to make a proper appointment in his office on a working day. And then Jesus could have come and healed her at a time of his approving. Jesus is scathing about this kind of attitude. Of course, the synagogue ruler didn't really want the woman to be healed at all. He didn't really care about her. He was upholding his own power. Remember the context. Jesus has just been teaching about the fig tree, which produced no fruit. For three years, it has produced no fruit. And it gets one year's reprieve. If it doesn't produce fruit next year, it will be cut down. And we saw last week that the fig tree represents Israel. Israel is not producing the fruit in keeping with repentance. 
It's not producing the fruit that God expects of it. It's not producing spiritual fruit. It's in last chance saloon. This is its final opportunity, as Sam taught us last week, to repent or perish. Israel won't repent, therefore it will be cut down and destroyed. Which is exactly what happens in AD 70 when the Romans destroy Jerusalem. So Israel is under judgment for rejecting Jesus. Now here in verses 10 to 17, Jesus offers an alternative vision, an alternative kingdom. In place of the kingdom of legalism, the kingdom of Satan, actually, Jesus offers his own kingdom, a kingdom of freedom. Jesus' kingdom of freedom, Satan's kingdom of slavery. These are the two kingdoms before us. So two headings, freedom in Jesus' kingdom, slavery in Satan's kingdom. Firstly then, freedom in Jesus' kingdom. Verse 10, it's a Sabbath. And Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he knows he must die and take upon himself the wrath of God for the sin of God's people. So here is Jesus teaching in the synagogue, verse 11, and a woman comes in who's been crippled for 18 years. This is the work of an evil spirit. She's bent double and cannot stand up straight. Jesus calls her forward and says to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Notice that. She is set free. In Jesus' kingdom, people are set free. Verse 16, For 18 years she's been kept bound. By Satan. Should not this woman be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her, says Jesus. Jesus sets people free in his kingdom. Verse 13 He put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, Jesus teaches in chapter 4 that this will happen. In Luke 4.15, Jesus is also teaching in a synagogue, this time in Nazareth, in his hometown. He reads from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me... 
to do what? To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. God's King, God's Messiah, always leads people to freedom in God's kingdom. You would think, wouldn't you, that seeing Jesus perform a wonderful miracle, everyone would believe in him. Not a bit of it. Don't believe people who say, if I could see a miracle, I would believe. It doesn't work like that. The legalist sees the miracle of Jesus setting people free and he still doesn't believe. He doesn't want Jesus as his king. He doesn't want to belong to Jesus' kingdom. The issue is moral, not a lack of evidence. There's plenty of evidence for Jesus' kingship. People reject him because they don't want his rule. So there's freedom in Jesus' kingdom. Secondly now, slavery in Satan's kingdom. The ruler of the synagogue thinks he's standing up for God. He thinks he's upholding God's law. When actually, he's an opponent of God's king. And in fact, a member of Satan's kingdom. Remember that when you're tempted to be legalistic in the Christian life. Verse 14, the synagogue leader is indignant. He is angry that Jesus has healed a woman on the Sabbath day. Instead of being amazed and thrilled at the love and power of Jesus, the synagogue leader is angry with Jesus. Verse 14, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. How does Jesus respond to this? The Sabbath is exactly the right day to set people free. Verse 15. Jesus calls his opponents hypocrites. They won't set this woman free, but they will untie, set loose, set free, their ox or donkey on the Sabbath so that they can lead it out and give it water. They set free their animals because their animals are worth a lot of money. But they will not set free a daughter of Abraham. This woman was of no value in the eyes of the synagogue leader. 
Jesus points out that she's of equal value with all of God's children. She too is a daughter of Abraham. Abraham is the founder of God's people, the first Jew. This woman is a member of God's people. And Satan has kept her bound. The synagogue ruler wants to keep her bound. The synagogue ruler is on Satan's side. Even though he thinks he's standing up for God. And in fact, what better use of the Sabbath, Sabbath is there than to set people free from the power of Satan. Sabbath is all about setting people free. People are free from their work on the Sabbath. They're free to love and worship God. The rich and powerful had to give their servants a rest once a week. Even the animals were to rest one day a week. And all of this, in Deuteronomy 5.15, all of this freedom is because, quote, you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out. Therefore, God gives them a Sabbath rest. They're not slaves anymore. Then, every seven years, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. The land must not be worked every seventh year. God will provide a double harvest in the sixth year. Then, every 49 years, there was to be a year of jubilee. So in the 50th year, each person was set free, free to return to their own family, free to return to their own property. Slaves were set free in the jubilee. God is in the business of setting people free. That's what the Sabbath is all about. But the synagogue ruler is indignant. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know the God of the Sabbath. In fact, he belongs to Satan's kingdom. He is like the fig tree in verse 6 that produces no fruit. He is good for nothing except to be cut down along with all the other legalists. Jesus has come to set us free. Therefore, how free are we? What does it mean to be free 
in Christ. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom to do whatever we please. Freedom in Christ means to be free to love God. Free to obey God. This is true freedom. Freedom to disobey God is no freedom at all. Disobeying God is always a form of slavery. In my own strength, I will eventually disobey God. I am a sinner. When I come to Jesus, he sets me free and enables me to obey God, which is perfect freedom. I know peace and joy when I obey God. And I forfeit peace and joy the moment I disobey God. Freedom in Christ also means freedom from anxiety. Back in chapter 12, Jesus teaches his disciples not to worry. Not to worry about their life, what they will eat or what they will wear. God meets all the needs of the ravens. Therefore, he will feed his people. And God clothes the wild flowers with exquisite beauty. Therefore, he will clothe his children. Seek first God's kingdom and God will meet all your needs. So the follower of Jesus is set free from anxiety. He or she is set free from sin. The woman who is bent over and cannot stand up straight is a picture of the sinful person weighed down by sin, overwhelmed by sin, unable to stand up under it. Jesus sets us free from sin. What sin binds you? What sin binds me? Jesus sets us free. What is it that you keep doing that you wish you could stop doing? Jesus sets us free. We don't achieve perfection this side of heaven. But we can be set free. Nobody needs to be a slave tonight. Let's come to Jesus to be set free. Or 
Do you prefer laws and rules? With whom do you sympathize in this story? With Jesus, who sets the prisoner free, or with the legalist? Would you like to be set free? Or do you rather like your list of rules? We like rules because to some extent we can keep them and therefore feel rather pleased with ourselves. Jesus says this makes us hypocrites. It also makes us dehumanizers. The synagogue ruler doesn't see the value of the individual, doesn't see that this disabled woman is a daughter of Abraham. All he can see is his system of rules, like my friend. All he could see was people drinking tea in the Lord's house. On the Lord's day. How terrible. Jesus sees the individual. He sees her need. He loves her. We should love people. And draw them into Jesus' kingdom. We should have compassion on those who are outside of Jesus' kingdom and need to be saved. The legalist, for example, sees people coming into church. All he or she can see is the way people are failing to keep the rules. Legalism is so attractive because it's something I can do for myself. I can keep some rules and make myself feel superior. Superior to all those moral failures. Of course, legalism gives us no peace of mind, no rest, no sense of acceptance in God's presence, just a burden of guilt and shame and of course pride pride in my own ability to keep rules we have to repent of our pride now all of that said Jesus doesn't compromise on holiness. Jesus does indeed speak prophetically into our society, our society of breaking God's law. Jesus doesn't compromise on holiness one bit. But Jesus loves people. He welcomes them 
into his kingdom, into his family. We have to love people and welcome people as well as teaching them the way of holiness from God's word. But we're to welcome them and love them. We need to be known as friends of sinners, just like Jesus. We need to be known as a place of grace and welcome. Yes, we must uphold God's standards. But we should be so loving and welcoming that people cannot miss the fact that we love them. We love and welcome moral failures. It's essential that we're known as those who love outsiders. As I say, there's no doubt that Jesus upholds God's standard of holiness. I'm not suggesting that we compromise on the truth. But I am suggesting that we need to so radically love people, especially those who feel excluded by law. Legalism is church life at its most unattractive. Grace is church at its most attractive. Jesus loves sinners. I'm so grateful for that. Speaking as a sinner and a moral failure, I'm so grateful that Jesus loves sinners. I'm so grateful that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves sinners and therefore so must we. And the most loving thing we can do for any sinner is to bring them to Jesus. Because he will love them and welcome them. Look how he loves this woman who's been disabled for 18 years. Look how he's willing to be criticized for her sake. This is the Jesus we need to bring our friends to. Bring them to church. Bring them to exploring Christianity. Bring them to passion for life. Jesus really loves our unsaved friends and families. Jesus is waiting to welcome them and to set them free. Just as he sets this woman free. In the same way, Jesus is waiting to welcome you and me. He sees us in our brokenness and sin, our failure, and he loves us. He longs to set us free.
he invites us to come to him just as we are. We don't have to sort ourselves out before we come to him. We can come to him just as we are. Will you come to him? Come to him afresh this evening. Receive his love and his grace. Shall we spend a few minutes in open prayer? We'll stay as a big group. Let's speak out prayers of worship and praise to Jesus that he loves and welcomes and receives moral failures. Let's pray for ourselves that we would love sinners and welcome them. Let's pray for exploring Christianity on Wednesday that Jesus would save people there. Let's pray for passion for life. Let's pray for our society. Let's pray that God would pour out his spirit and that it would be a great work of bringing many people to himself. Let's pray for our church, that we would grow through conversions, people coming to know Jesus. Let's pray for those who are struggling this evening and need our prayers. So we'll have a few minutes of open prayer. Father, thank you for rescuing us and setting us free. Please grant us this week to walk in freedom, to walk in obedience to your word, to know sweet fellowship with you, unspoiled by sin. Help us in this, Lord. And thank you again for Christ. Thank you that he has paid for every sinful failure that we'll ever make. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.